AIG finds a potential buyer, again, and JP Morgan is going after Bitcoin. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show, folks. I am David Hansen. Matt Kopenheffer is out today. So I'm joined by Stock Advisor Analyst Brendan Matthews. Great to be here. Welcome back to the show. We're excited to have you. And before we start, we did a stock draft, fantasy stock draft, probably, what, five, six months ago now. Mm-hmm. And here are the rankings, the standings so far. Uh, for those of you listening, Brendan is firmly number one, beating the market by almost eight percentage points. Meanwhile, I am number four out of four, lagging the market by 25 percentage points there. Not great. I'd also like to point out I had the last pick. You in did that have draft. the last pick. So it's kind of a, a, a last to best. Scenario. There you go. So anyone listening, anyone watching, we got a, a very smart person here with us <laughs> that's just dominating. Or very lucky. Exactly. One of the two. Um, that's going to go on for a while, though. This is a, this is a year-long competition, not a six months. Um, and again, before we get into the real headlines, the lottery, the Mega Millions, up to $400 million. Are you buying a ticket today? I'm not a lottery guy. Um, aside from the fact that the probabilities are are stacked Awful. against you, I just it seems like a pain to go in there. You wait in line. I don't really know how it works, so I'm not a lottery guy. All right, I'm not either. Moving on to the real headlines, as I mentioned in the intro, AIG said said in sale talks with Aircap on AIG Jet Leasor ILFC. I think last time you were on the show a couple of months ago, this was in the headlines once again. Now this is a new potential buyer. Is this good news for AIG, or are they just trying to get rid of this unit? It seems like they've been trying to sell it for years now. Yeah, it's definitely good news because what what um, selling this unit will do is it'll improve their credit rating, mm-hmm. which is which is why they're seeking to sell it. I think last time I was saying, hey, it's 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 not that big of a deal though because it's a relatively small business relative to AIG as mm-hmm. a whole. Yeah, and I, we'll get to the tweets later, but I saw this tweet this morning from Crowd Turtle. He says. AIG said to be in talks with Justin Bieber as well for a partial stake in ILFC. Dennis Rodman has also expressed interest. It just seems like they're talking hey, to everybody trying to get you Sometimes you want to cast a wide net. Exactly. Dennis Rodman, he's everywhere. But, yeah, like you said, a, a slight positive for AIG, but not super material over mm-hmm. the next five years. Absolutely. All right, moving on to the second headline. This isn't from today, but you wrote this article last week. It says, driverless cars aren't a threat to progressive, and we saw... Uh, Steve Kuhn from Pine River come out and say, hey, we're shorting Progressive Mm -hmm. based on the fact that we think driverless cars are not that far away. Maybe 10 years from now, everyone will be using them, and we're not going to need car insurance anymore because there's going to be no accidents. And you said, wait a second, Steve, that's maybe not true. Right. So setting aside the fact that I think driverless cars are probably further away than Steve Kuhn has predicted, Mm -hmm. I think the key thing is if you look at safety rates in in cars over the last 100 years, or I looked since 1999, cars have consistently been getting safer. We've had fewer traffic deaths in the U.S. I think since 1999, traffic deaths are down 20 Mm percent. But at the same time, auto insurance premiums have continued to increase. Uh, Liability insurance premiums are up over... 48% 48% in mm-hmm. that same period. So even though cars are getting safer, we're still paying more in premiums because we've got more drivers, we've got people driving more miles, and we've got more expensive cars, and the liability of accidents keep going up. So premiums have continued to march up. So Yeah, and I think what you have to look for in this short, he says maybe in 10 years people are not no longer driving. Mm-hmm. Even if their short is comes to fruition and they're correct in 10 years, mm-hmm. 
what about the time value of money that you you have this capital tied up yeah. waiting for progressive to basically become obsolete in 10 years? To me, it seems a little ridiculous. It is very far-fetched, very far-fetched. And, and they're, they're smart guys over there, so I'm sure they've done some research, but I don't see this as a particularly foolish uh, short. If there is, there's not many foolish shorts out there, mm-hmm. but I definitely don't see this as one of them. I don't think so either. All right, moving on to the third and final headline. Again, going to Brendan Matthews, a prolific writer here at Bull.com. Wisdom Trees, massive ETF opportunity. Earlier in the week, Matt and I were, were kind of talking about the big asset managers that are on our radars. Which ones are we interested in? And I mentioned big asset managers. This is a smaller asset manager. People have probably heard of Wisdom Tree. We're, we're talking to investors here. It's not even a $2 billion company yet. What is it about Wisdom Tree that gets you excited? So it's my favorite asset manager, and it's really about growth. So they provide ETFs. ETFs are a huge growth market. Mm-hmm. Over the past 10 years, assets flowing into ETFs have, have grown about over 30% a year. That's dwarfed growth, growth into mutual funds. And we're seeing this major trend of ETFs sort of replacing mutual funds, and that's definitely going to benefit Wisdom Tree. Now, I mentioned that. It's a $2 billion company. They have about $33 billion under management right mm-hmm. now. That's, that's not huge. Is this a potential buyout candidate to any of the big asset managers, or, or do you think that this is just going to be a standalone company with a lot of market share still to grab? Um, I, my, my thesis isn't based on a buyout, but I think it's certainly possible. We've seen big asset managers, Invesco, BlackRock, have bought ETF businesses. Mm-hmm. And if... If uh, a big asset manager thinks that they want to grow in this market, potentially Wisdom Tree could be a takeout candidate. All right. Moving on to our in focus for today. We talk a lot about banks on the show. We do cover the insurance sector, the, the REIT sector. We've had a lot of listeners, viewers come out and say, hey, I wish you guys talked about insurance more. I know it's mm-hmm. not the most exciting business all the time, but I'm interested in just the standard property and casualty insurance. What do I look for? And you've kind of got a checklist that, that the five things that right. you look for in kind of your, your perfect insurer. Can you walk us through kind of what these are and which ones do you think are the most important? Sure. So there's, there's really five things that you want to look at if you're looking at a property and casualty insurance company to make sure that it's a, a solid investment. So the first one is going to be management. Second one is going to be their underwriting. Third one is going to be their reserves. The fourth will be their investment portfolio, and the fifth will be evaluation. Right. Now, of those five things, you definitely want to check all of them. But to me, the most important one is management. In the insurance business, so much of the financial statements are based on estimates, which management has uh, a lot of freedom to make those estimates. So if you can't trust management, you can't trust the financial statements. So I think management is probably the number one thing I look at. And the way that that I personally like to gauge management is either read the most recent conference call or open the annual report mm-hmm. and see how they talk about their business. If you're reading through the report and you're through the first 10 pages and you just have no idea what they're talking about, they're not doing a good job of explaining their strategy, how they view the business, mm-hmm. to me, that's a red flag. If you look at an insurer like Markel mm-hmm. or Berkshire, which isn't, which isn't just insurance, but Tom Gaynor over at Markel, Warren Buffett, they do a very good job of explaining the business. And to me, that that says a lot about their kind of integrity. You mentioned they have kind of a little bit of leeway to, to play with the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for me, it's really getting on uh, the calls, reading the reports, and seeing what actually are they saying. I, I, I agree with you. That's definitely a great way to evaluate management. 
One other thing I like to look at that I suggest other investors do is look at the incentive packages. Mm -hmm. So pull up the proxy statement, see uh, what are the metrics that management is being awarded their bonus on. And if those metrics align with uh, the interests of shareholders, that's, that's an indication that, that you have a good management team that's going to do good things for shareholders. Right. Uh, skipping down on your list, you mentioned number three was reserves. Right. And, okay, it's easy to kind of say for an investor, I understand what he means by management. I understand valuation. What do we mean by reserves? Because insurance is kind of a unique business mm-hmm. with, this, with this part of their business reserves. We don't see that uh, kind of across the board. What is it about reserves that you like to see an insurer do? So I want... I want so reserve is essentially money set aside to pay future claims. Mm-hmm. And it's an estimate. And then over time, you can see how those estimates compare to actual payments. And what you want to see is that management consi- consistently sets aside enough money to pay its, its premiums, potentially even more if they're, mm-hmm. if they're conservative. And if they're being too aggressive and they're not setting aside enough, it's an indication that earnings are overstated. Um, if they're being conservative, earnings could be understated. So you want to make sure that there's... It's called a redundancy, which means they're just setting aside more than they necessarily need. Right. And one of the companies that, that you follow that has done a great job is PCI. Is, is that, do I have the name right? Uh, RLI. RLI, that's right. RLI. Um, so it's very small, um, very small uh, PNC insurer, but they have a very conservative culture of both underwriting and mm-hmm. reserving. Um, over the past five years, their conservative reserving has actually allowed them to release reserves. Um, and I think right now, the, when I looked at their balance sheet at the end of 2012, I thought they'd set aside almost 30% more than they needed to in mm-hmm. reserves. Right. Um, might be a surprise to some people to hear you say that valuation is your fifth consideration in right. terms of why, when you're going down. Does it play out that way just because if the first four all look good, the valuation may be kind of an afterthought? Is that kind of your process there? Well, I, not an afterthought, but if there's really good management, good underwriting, and good investments, you're not as concerned about getting it at a rock, rock bottom price. Right, exactly. So maybe it's just my personal preference, but I'm not looking to buy a cigar butts. I'm looking more for a good quality company at a fair price. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, valuation is incredibly important, but it's also very imprecise. It's right. hard to be. It's hard to know exactly what a company's intrinsic value is, and so I, I just feel more comfortable knowing I'm, I'm buying a good company, maybe even if I'm paying a little bit more. All right. Sounds good. Yep. All right, moving on to the mailbag. We have an email address. You can email us, WTMI at fool.com. Today we have a game slash question from Darren. He says, would you rather have 100% of your portfolio in three index funds of your choice or 100% of your portfolio in Berkshire Hathaway? Interesting question. What are you going with? So I've actually I've thought about this in the past, and I'm going with Berkshire Hathaway. So I think it's a better combination of businesses than mm-hmm. what's constituted in the index. And I know that um, you know a lot of studies show that a- active management doesn't work. When it comes to Warren Buffett, I'm a believer in active management, and I, I like to have Warren Buffett choosing my my businesses versus just accepting what's in the market. I was tempted to go with Berkshire, but I, I'm going to disagree with you. He said three index funds of my choice, and maybe I don't pick the best ones, but when I look at Berkshire, it obviously looks unbelievable. I, I, you could do a lot worse than having mm-hmm. your money with Warren Buffett, having him make the investments there. But if I'm looking over a 20-year period, there are some kind of, not red flags, but things that could really affect my investment, whether it's Buffett no longer being there at the company, mm-hmm. 
Maybe there's some internal issues that we don't know about today. So for me, the, the kind of unknown unknowns that are with any company, I'd feel a little bit better having my money in an index fund rather than completely with, completely with Buffett. But it was tempting. So you, well, I, I'll admit with index funds, you'll be more diversified. Mm-hmm. So, and, and another part of that is the international exposure. So if you wanted to have some international exposure, you'd, right. you'd have more freedom with index funds than, mm-hmm. than just picking Berkshire. All right, moving on to the final segment of the day, going into the Twitter sphere. You can email or you can tweet at us. We are at TMF Financials. Our first tweet is from Shane Parrish, and this was from last night. He says, readers and I are trying to give away 108 books to kids who need them. If you're a teacher needing books for your class, email me. Now, this is a really cool, I guess, initiative that, that Shane was trying to do, uh, basically having people say, do you need a book? And then other people are coming in saying, hey, I can uh, donate yeah. books. Yeah, it's, it's a cool idea. So Shane Parrish runs Farnham Street Blog, mm-hmm. um, dedicated to reading, learning from others, um, and he's sort of trying to s- spread that message by giving away books. I think it's something really cool. Christmas season is coming up. We have some all types of listeners out there. Let's go for a, a beginning investor, somebody who's only been investing for a couple years. What's one book that you'd throw on their list? I would say... Um, Beat the Street by okay. Peter Lynch is, is, is a classic, very readable. Just reread it myself. Um, that, that's a great place to start. I think that's a good point, too, talking about investment books. Uh, you don't have to just read it once. Sometimes it's interesting to go back and, and read what you read five years ago. I think you'll look at things a lot different. Yeah, I, I do that periodically. All right, moving on to the second tweet. This is from Eddie Elfenbein quoting Alan Greenspan. He says, I guess I should warn you, if I turn out to be particularly clear You've probably misunderstood what I've said. <laughs> Mr. Greenspan always, always has a way with words there. Uh, so, first of all, I think I clearly understand what he's saying in this statement, so does that mean I misunderstand it? Uh, but, but seriously, I think this just, just shows the futility of trying to read the tea leaves mm-hmm. from uh, central banking uh, pronouncements. They're, it's like NFL coaches. They have to say something, but they don't want to tell right. you what they really think. Right. And even when we hear Janet Yellen, who will be coming in as Fed chairman, she's kind of been the champion of delivering a clear message. Even though it is going to be a clear message, you still it's going to be very hard to <laughs> – that's going to be very hard to say, okay, she said this, so the market's going to do this in the coming year. Personally, I don't pay too much attention to the Fed. I know there's all the taper talk, but – for me, it's much more important just to pay attention to businesses. Yeah, same for me. All right, moving on to the final tweet. I mentioned it in the intro. This is from The Economist. J.P. Morgan Chase has filed for a patent for an online payment system that sounds rather like Bitcoin. Uh, before we get to what exactly J.P. Morgan ha- has filed for, what do you think of Bitcoin? I had Simon Erickson on a couple weeks ago from the Rule Breakers service. And he said, I don't even know much about it. And this is a guy that looks for the next big thing in technology and all these industries. Do you have any thoughts on Bitcoin? I think think it's very interesting. I like the idea of a currency that's not controlled by the government. I like the idea of innovation and payments. But I think Bitcoin is way overhyped. I'm I'm constantly amazed by the amount of news coverage Mm -hmm. that it gets for for what it is. Right. Uh, So what J.P. Morgan has has filed here. I don't think it's explicitly for Bitcoin, mm-hmm. but it's basically a, a payment system that the general ledger type thing that Bitcoin has, they're trying to replicate that to do it in-house. And it got me thinking, I don't know if Bitcoin is going to be successful. Morgan Housel has said, Bitcoin may be like Napster. It may not be the winner in the space, 
but I think it opens the door to, to a lot of things. And this might sound crazy, and I know one of the stocks that, that you guys follow is MasterCard mm-hmm. and Visa. I don't think it's insane to think that these companies could be disrupted to some extent over the next 10 years. When we think about the payments world and they're taking a percentage from the merchants at, yeah. on the back end there kind of, it's not the most efficient model if we think about it. In an ideal world, I'd be able to pay you $100 for a service and you would get $100 for a service. So I think services like Bitcoin, whether it's Bitcoin or another digital currency, I think it's possible that this could be something. And it's interesting seeing JP Morgan hopping on board here. So first of all, I I think you're right. Payments is a technology business, essentially. So new innovations in technology could potentially displace MasterCard. I don't know if it would happen anytime soon, right. but but who knows? And I think it's interesting that J.P. Morgan is is getting involved in this sort of new innovative stuff. I think it's it's good for them. I don't know if it'll necessarily work, but I like companies that make an effort to innovate. Mm-hmm. Um, although I, I I do remember J.P. Morgan essentially was the inventor of the credit default swap, there which which was very innovative at the mm-hmm. time, but didn't work out well for the financial community. Right, and I think what what Bitcoin has done is gotten people thinking about payments, which is really what leads to the next big thing. Like mm-hmm. Napster, that got people thinking about digital music. Okay, yep. what are the other ways that we can do this? So I think smart people, smart engineers are going to be focusing more on payments. And I think there could be some pretty exciting stuff over the next 10 years. But like you said, we don't know, but it's possible we could see some stuff. Awesome. All right. That is all we have for today. You can read more from Brendan and team. I think you can get a free stock advisor trial. If I'm not mistaken, yep. just Google uh, Stock Advisor Molly Fool. I'm sure you can sign up for a free, free trial there if you're interested in more. Again, you can tweet at us. We are at TMF Financials. Our email address is WTMI at Fool.com. Have a good weekend. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.